extremely negative. Like this dam holding back water was not a good thing. And as we prayed into it and we sought God and asked Him, what does this mean? He began to reveal that the water represents all of the things He has called us to in our lives. The calling He has put on your life, the giftings He has placed in your life, the blessings He wants to pour into your life. But the dam represents all the things that are holding us back. The pain, the hurt, the unforgiveness, the lies we've believed, all these things that are trying to keep us leashed in a place that God never meant for us to live. And so, the, and the image, the, the, the drive, what God put on our hearts was that He wanted to tear down some dams. He wanted to set some people free so that you can live truly in the life that He has prepared specifically for you. So, through this series, we've explored a number of different things. We started with four key promises that we need to believe, key promises about who God is and, and who we are in relation to Him that we need to believe in order to live unleashed. And then we examined four different problems, and, and we could have examined 12 different problems. We could have examined 52 different problems, but we didn't want to do unleashed until 2023. Um, but... We, like, we could have gone into depth in promises and in problems, but we talked about unforgiveness. We talked about pain. We talked about lies. We talked about patterns and finding freedom. And these past three weeks, we have started to be looking at some key practices that we need to have in our lives. Things that won't necessarily set us free, but that will help us in our relationship with God to be stronger in that relationship with God and to continue to live unleashed. Talking about things like prayer, community. And last week, Erica, our worship leader, she brought a word on worship, which was just amazing. But this week, I want to I close this series by talking about the last of the four practices that I believe God calls us to, that we need to learn to live in in order to be unleashed. And I'm going to warn you off the top, this isn't one like prayer where you just commit to praying two minutes a day and you feel good about yourself. This, this is one that's a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit harder to do because it requires work and it requires sacrifice. And, um, you know, through, through this series, through this last part of the series, we have, Dan uh, first introduced this idea in, in prayer and talking about how many people, we, we can think about prayer as if it's a pool, where you have many people who are in the deep end and they are so in, in love with God and they have such a deep prayer life and, and that's good. And there are many people who are more in the middle of the pool and that's also good. And there's many people who are in the shallow end, also fine. And some aren't even in the pool yet, and that's okay. And the goal, what he said, and this is the goal, it's the same for this message. The goal is not that you go to the deep end right now. The goal is that we collectively take a step deeper together. That we all be taking a step deeper. So this morning, that's the goal. I'm not trying to convince you you need to be way over there. Just what is the next step? What is one step deeper? And I also want to be clear off the top 
that in talking about this, this practice, I don't want anyone to feel ashamed or condemned. That's not the goal. We're going to talk about three key disciplines that, that define this practice, but, but the goal is not to say, hey, you're not doing these things. Shame on you. No, that's not the point. The point is to bring to light a practice that God calls us to in our lives so that as we walk with God and live unleashed, we might truly live in everything He has for us. So this morning, I want to talk about the practice of sacrifice. We're calling this message Sacrifice Unleashed, but the practice of sacrifice, the practice of surrendering things that are yours and giving them to God, trusting that He will provide. And, and specifically, I want to talk about sacrifice through the lens of three disciplines that you may not have heard of before, or you might not heard, have heard a church talk about them really in depth before, but the disciplines of fasting, Sabbath, and giving. But before we get too deep into this message, I want to start by making sure we're all on the same page here. Because I know in this room we have a wide variety of people. We have some people who you've been in the church forever, and you know, when I say fasting, Sabbath, and giving, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, yep, yeah, we're good, good to go, cool, that's great. There's some people, maybe you've never heard those words before. You're like, fasting? What, is, what does that mean, going really fast? Well, so I want to start by defining them so that we're all on the same page. So when we talk about fasting, we are talking about the biblical practice of abstaining from food or something you enjoy for a spiritual purpose, often to seek God's will, ask God for help, or ask God for forgiveness. And so fasting is this biblical principle we see throughout the Bible. We see people, we see Jesus fast for 40 days. It's crazy because then the first, he doesn't eat anything for 40 days, and then the first thing the devil does is he comes to him and he tempts him and he's like, hey, turn those stones into bread. And Jesus, after 40 days of no food, is like, nope, I'm good. Like, I'm, I wish I was more like Jesus. Um, we see Jesus fast. We see his disciples fast. We see the early church fast. We see ancient Israelites fast. The prophets fast. The, all, there's, fasting is just this principle, this discipline interwoven into Scripture. And fasting, the whole purpose is to abstain from something in order to seek God. And typically in Scripture, it, it talks about fasting from food, like a complete fast, no food, you can drink water, um, but no, no food sustenance. And sometimes in Scripture, we also see people uh, do selective fasts or partial fasts, like Daniel, he fasts from certain kinds of food for a period of time. And in our modern day, we also talk about fasting in terms of fasting from something we enjoy, like social media, electronics, fill in the blank with something that you enjoy to do in your spare time, that's something you can fast from. And fasting, the whole purpose is to seek God. Now, fasting is not something done for political or self-gain. You know, hunger strikes are a thing. People go on hunger strikes to try and cause change in, in the political sphere or whatever. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. 
but that's not fasting. Fasting is also not a way of becoming more holy. Just because you fast doesn't make you a better Christian. In fact, I can't find a verse in the Bible where God's like, fast once a month or else. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't know of any verse like that. It's just a principle we see in Scripture. Fasting is also not a way of punishing yourself. There was this old, in the late medieval period, um, there was a movement of like asceticism that happened in the church, and, and it was basically, here's a list of rules that you must follow in order to serve God, and, and if you don't follow them, you should fast to punish yourself. That's not the point. Fasting is also not a weight loss method. Now, I know there's things like dietary things, intermittent fasting, that kind of thing. I don't know enough about it to talk about it. Um, but, but fasting, and those, those kinds of fasts are good, but biblical fasting is focused on God, not on what we can get from it. And so what does fasting do? Why do people fast? Well, fasting, what it does is it reveals what controls us. God or something else. There's a principle, like a lot of people who go on to longer fasts begin to notice things in their lives that they didn't realize were there, things that were controlling them from behind the scenes. Anger, lust, materialism, greed, all these different problems that might be in our lives often will come to the surface through fasting as we give our time and our food to God. And secondly, fasting, it reminds us that God is in charge of our lives, not us. That we don't need to worry about our sustenance. We don't need to worry about what food we're eating. But when we fast, we're saying, God, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to do whatever it is because I'm going to trust you instead. So that's fasting. Now, next one is Sabbath. The Sabbath is a little bit more complicated than fasting because there's a very large history behind the word Sabbath. We have the original form that we see in Genesis 1 and Exodus 20 where, where God, after he puts the world into order, he, he takes the seventh day and he rests. And he then commands the Israelites to do the same. And, but then we also have, by the time of Jesus, a completely different form of fasting that is sometimes viewed in some churches nowadays as well. And so the f- Sabbath comes from Exodus 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day. This is the, one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident, that's not a very nice way of saying somebody who moved from another country to live in your country, um, and all, in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. And so this was a command God had given the people of Israel to rest one day a week, to not do work one day a week. To, if they were a slave owner or, or a businessman who had employees, to not force their employees to work seven days a week, but to give everyone one day off. By the time we get to Jesus, we see that the Sabbath has been twisted into something that 
it was never meant to be. And, and a lot of the Jews at that period took Sabbath to mean, well, we don't do anything we can do another day. And to the extent that some sects of Judaism at the time believed, oh, well, if my dog or my cat or if my infant son were to fall into a pit on the Sabbath, I have to wait to get them out the next day. It's not exactly what God was going for. And my parents, they, they grew up in, um, in a church that was like that as well. We're on the Sabbath day, and there was always a Saturday. You couldn't take the Sabbath on another day because, you know, the Bible is apparently specific about it. But on the Sabbath day, you couldn't do anything from sunup to sundown. Couldn't cook a meal. You couldn't get ice out of your ice maker in your fridge. You couldn't ride a normal elevator. You had to take a special elevator. You just, you had to sit around, bored, all day long. If that's your view of the Sabbath, it's a wrong view. That is not the biblical meaning of Sabbath. Sabbath is the biblical practice of surrendering one day of the week, and in history it was often Saturday, but it doesn't really matter. God doesn't specify one day of the week to God, remembering what God has done and recognizing that God is the one in control of our lives. Sabbath is not avoiding anything fun. Oh, no, it's my Sabbath. I have to sit around bored all day. No, that's, that's not what Sabbath is. Sabbath is not abstaining from anything that could be considered work. Specifically, in ancient Israel, it was abstaining from money-making methods. And in my life, I view Sabbath as I won't touch any church work, because that's my job. I'm not touching it on the Sabbath, and I won't do anything I don't want to do. So, is the grass long and needs to be cut? Cool. That can wait to Monday. Do I want to play video games all day? Yeah, sure. That's fine. <laughs> Just being real. <laughs> And Sabbath is not a list of things to be avoided of do's and don'ts. What Sabbath does is it reveals what controls us. Is it God or is it our to-do lists? Is it God or is it our work? Is it a God or is it the list of chores that our wife, wives gave us that we need to do? Otherwise, they're going to be upset. What controls you? And really, simply, it reminds us again that God is in control of our lives, not us. You might feel you need to work every single day of the week just to get by, but God's like, no, 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 take one day off. Give it to me. Trust me. I will provide for you. So that's Sabbath. Now, the third one, giving, this is one that church people tend to get really uptight about. And it's not that we don't like talking about, or we, it's not that we don't like money, it's that we don't like talking about money. And often it's because I know churches in the past have been very manipulative when it comes to money. Like, you need to give money or else, and it's like, okay, chill. So I just want to be clear off the top here. My goal in talking about giving this morning is not to convince you to give your life savings to Gateway Alliance Church. 
My goal is simply to introduce you to a principle that Jesus talked about and to encourage you to be obedient to his voice. So giving is a principle, is the principle of taking from what God has given us and giving it back to God. And so basically the principle goes that the job you have, well, you got it because of your skill and you're making a paycheck because of your skill, but those skills you have came from God. And so we see this in Deuteronomy 8. It says, do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. Basically, the principle is that, that the skills you have to earn money, God gave those to you. The money you receive is a blessing from God, and the principle is to take some of the blessing and return it to him. And biblically speaking, uh, giving is talked about in, in terms of tithes and offerings. And, and tithes was this principle of giving 10% of the money you received or whatever income you received and giving it to God. Specifically in an agricultural culture, it meant your chicken laid 10 eggs, you take one and give it to the temple. It's pretty simple. And in our day, it's money because most of us don't have chickens. Um, And the church is not equipped to handle eggs. Please don't donate eggs to the church. Bring them to a food pantry or something. Um, And offerings was giving over and above, surrendering income to God and trusting him with it. So giving is the biblical practice of taking some of our income, specifically 10% or more, and returning it to God either through the church, through charity, or through just being a blessing to others. Giving is not a means of earning forgiveness. I'm sorry if you grew up in 15th century Catholic church. They told you, oh, you sinned? That'll be $300, and God will forgive you. No, no, forgiveness is earned by grace through belief in Christ. It has nothing to do with giving. Giving is not a means of earning forgiveness. Giving is also not a means of getting more from God. There is a biblical principle of the more you sow, the more you reap. That when you give, God sees that he can trust you with more, and so he is willing to give more to you. That is a biblical principle, but that can't be the motivation. Giving is also not a principle made up by the church to get rich. Like, it's not a principle that some pastors sat around and were like, you know what, we want to get rich. And there are some people, malicious people who do this, where they're like, give us money so we can buy a private jet. That, avoid those people. But, <laughs> but it's, the true principle of giving is not meant to make pastors and churches rich. It's not to keep the lights on or, or to, to make sure that the pastors can provide for their families. Like, yeah, it accomplishes those goals, but the point of giving is not that. The point of giving is surrendering our income to God and trusting Him with it. And what giving does is it reveals what controls you, God or money. 
And it reminds us that ultimately God is in charge of our finances and our lives, not us. It doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account. God is in control. So these three principles, fasting, Sabbath, and giving, they are all practices, disciplines of sacrifice where we are actively choosing to give something of value up and to lay it down and surrender before God. Whether it's food, social media, our time, or our money, it's actively choosing to say, God, I trust you with this, and to surrender it to him. And all three of these practices do the same thing. They help reveal what controls us, and they help remind us who is in control. You know, Matthew 6, don't throw it up yet because I'll I'll get there in a minute. We're basically going through the whole chapter of Matthew 6 this morning. Um, But Matthew 6, we find this passage where, where Jesus talks about the practice of sacrifice, and, and it's a, this passage that is a part of a sermon Jesus preached that's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of the sermon, Jesus begins to talk about the practice of sacrifice. And he starts in, in Matthew 6, verse 1, by talking about three different disciplines, uh, which were giving, prayer, and fasting. Unfortunately, he didn't talk about Sabbath there, but it would have been perfect for the message, but that's fine. Um, I'll forgive you, Jesus. Anyways. <laughs> but, but the principle he's talking about is when you do these things, what is your motivation? Are you doing them in order to get something or in order to give something? Are you doing them in order that people will look at you and be like, ooh, what a holy great person that guy is? Or are you doing them in secret for God. And and he says, when you give, do it in secret. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do it in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do it. go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, don't look like you're fasting. Don't make yourself look gross and unkept. And don't allow hanger to control you. doesn't say those words exactly, but I think it's applicable. Um, But when you fast, do it in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And really, through these first 18 verses, what he's getting at is, what is your motivation? Because if your motivation is to have people look up to you and think you're such a good Christian boy, that's great. That's the only reward you're going to get. You will get nothing back in return from God for that sacrifice because you have the wrong motive. And then from there, Jesus hops into this section where he begins to expand on the practice of sacrifice, specifically talking through the lens of money. Because, you know, I think the reality is that the big thing that controls most of us is money. Because we want more so that we can have a good life, or we can just 
so that we can feed ourselves. And so Jesus, knowing this core motivation, he begins to talk about money. And he says in verse, verse 19, Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And remember the context. Jesus has just been talking about giving prayer and fasting, doing them in secret. That your motivation cannot be to make people like you more. And he's saying, do not store up that kind of treasure because it will not last. And at the same time, he's also making a point about money. He's saying, do not store up treasure for yourself on earth, because guess what? When you die, you can't take it with you. He says, be obedient. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Be obedient to me. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And then he goes into this passage that is a little confusing. So it goes, practice is a sacrifice, money, eyes, money, don't worry. And it's like, what is going on here, Jesus? And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If you're confused that's okay. <laughs> Basically, science in Jesus' age was not great. They did not understand that how eyes work is light travels into the eye and then something happens. I'm not an optometrist. I'm sorry. Um, I did not pay attention in grade 10 science when we talked about eyes. But their view was that our eyes were little lamps that shone light around. And then where you looked, it was illuminated because your eye was a lamp. They didn't have the science that, that we have nowadays. That's okay. But that was their understanding. And so, Jesus, the eye is the lamp of the body. Well, that makes sense now because literally they thought the eye is the lamp of the body. And in that day and age, they believed when they referred to a healthy eye, it usually was used to mean a generous eye. And when they referred to an unhealthy eye, that usually was used to refer to a stingy eye. So if we look at this in, in the context, Jesus is saying, if your eye is healthy, if you are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, if you are stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If it, then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's going back to that same thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus hits this next verse. He says, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. And really what Jesus is getting at is, what controls you? What controls your life? God or wealth? And I think we can take this principle 
and apply it to many other areas. What controls your life? God or wealth? God or materialism? God or lust? God or anger? God or the pursuit of happiness? God or the American dream? God or owning that $150,000 car just because you want to brag? God or what? What controls you? And then from here, remember, we've talked about sacrifice. What's your motivation for sacrifice? Now we've talked about, Jesus has talked about how money, we need to make sure that God is the one in control of our lives, not money. And then Jesus says, if the people haven't gotten the point yet, he twists the dagger. And he just goes a little bit further. He says, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or, what, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? Answer, no. I don't know if you've tried it. I have. Plenty of experience. It doesn't work. He says, and why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. Go to the next one. It says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow you're going to gather up and you're going to throw it in your oven so you can bake some bread. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who worry about such things. Your Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you also. Now, to give you some context here, When Jesus is preaching this message, he is not standing before the Bill Gates, the Elon Musks, and the Jeff Bezoses of the world. He's not standing in the streets of Jerusalem where there's all these rich people who who have great lives and just abundance. No, no, no. Jesus is talking to farmers and fishermen and tradespeople whose entire lives were based on whether or not the harvest went well. If it didn't rain enough and the harvest was poor, people would die. Literally. These are people whose main concern is, how are we going to take care of ourselves? How are we going to feed ourselves? How are we going to feed our children? How are we going to have clothing so we don't wander around naked in the streets? How are we going to do these things? And Jesus says, do not worry about those things. And you know, I think we could add a lot of worries to that list. Do not worry about food or clothing. Do not worry about how your kids are going to turn out. Do not worry about what your job is going to look like next year. Do not worry about how you're going to pay to fix your car when you don't have the money to fix your car. Do not worry about if you're going to get laid off. Instead, what does he say? Do not worry, but instead strive first 
for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? Oh, you'll live a miserable life? No. And all these things, all these things you've been worrying about will be given to you as well. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Strive first. Pursue God first. You don't need to worry about these things. Put God first and he will handle the details. See, this practice of sacrifice, these disciplines of fasting and Sabbath and giving, they're all disciplines that help us refocus our attention on God. Take our attention off of our own needs, our own wants, our own desires, and put them on God. They help us to say, God, I don't care what comes my way. I will trust you. The practice of sacrifice really simply is the practice of daily just saying to God, God, I've got all these worries. I've got all these problems. I've got all the situations going, all these situations going on. I don't know how to deal with them. But God, despite all those things, I will trust you first. And really, it's a reminder. You don't need to be in control of your life. You don't need to be in control. Because the God of the universe, who is all-powerful, who loves you more than you could ever imagine, he says, if you will trust me, I will deal with the details. You know, the disciplines of fasting, Sabbath, and giving, they're, they're not anything magical. They're not anything that's going to suddenly make your life perfect and you'll be great and happy and never have a problem, though. All they are is reminders, daily reminders, weekly reminders, monthly reminders that remind us God is in control. And when God is in control, I don't have to worry because he's got me. Let's stand together as the band comes up. And I just want to end with a, we're going we're gonna to end in prayer, but before we do, I want us to take a moment of silence and prayerfully ask God, are there any areas in my life that I need to give to you? What are you calling me to sacrifice today? So we're just going to do that for a moment. I want to encourage you, whatever he says, be obedient to his voice. But, but we're just going to take a moment in silence right now. Father God, I just pray, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Shut out any distractions. Shut out any negative voices. Shut out anything that is not from you, God but open our eyes to see what you are calling to sacrifice to you.
encourage you, whatever God is saying to you, whatever he's putting on your heart, be obedient to him. If he's saying, I want you to fast, ask him for how long? If he's saying, I want you to give, ask him how much? He might not be saying, hey, you need to fast for 40 days. He might just say 24 hours. He might not say, give 10%. He might just say, give 1% more than you currently are. But be obedient to his voice. See, this whole series has been about living unleashed, about unshackling ourselves from things that have been holding us back. And the goal in this series has been that as we unshackle ourselves from those things that are holding us back, that we would in turn leash ourselves to God. So that we might live fully in the freedom that he has for us. Let's pray, Father God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you gave for us. Jesus, I thank you that in the midst of your glory, in the midst of all the beauty and splendor of heaven that you looked down on us and you saw us in our need. I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you sacrificed your life. You suffered pain for us so that we might be free. Jesus, I pray that you will give us the strength to be obedient to your voice. Help us to listen to you, to hear your voice clearly, and to be obedient to you, no matter how stressful it might be, no matter what you might ask. God, I pray that we will be a people who are fully surrendered to you. God, we lay ourselves down. Take us Use us, lead us, and guide us. We are yours. We are yours, God.